a great time of worship this morning. What a great time of worship. Such a great time of worship, I misplaced all my notes. Has anybody seen my notes around? Christ is risen. I think they're back there somewhere. He is risen indeed. Thank you, Jesus. These are overrated. (laughs) Or so I say. Oh, it's good to see everybody. It is good to see everybody. How about that winter day we're having this spring? We're going to get this weather straightened out by at least next week. That's what we're believing for. That's what we're believing for here at The Rock anyways. Good morning and welcome to our family room. I feel like I finally got my bearings here. I got my Bible opened to the wrong passage of Scripture and I got my notes open to the wrong page. It is good to see everybody. What a blessing to gather. We've got the freedom to gather openly to declare boldly the new covenant. And when we think about communion and what that proclaims, what we participate in, I'm just, I'm going back to that, but what, what eating that bread and drinking that cup represents for us, we're participating. We become co-heirs when we get born again. And taking communion doesn't make you born again. It doesn't make you more righteous or more holy. It's just an opportunity that we have to remember, to fix our minds in a place of remembrance. And if we think about Easter Sunday, this morning is a day. We don't know if it was this day. There's an Orthodox day that they observe. It's, I think it's the 24th or 25th. There's different days, but we take today, we set it apart, much like we just did in a moment, we set aside a little bit of time in our service to commemorate the sacrifice that Jesus made this morning. We do the same thing with Easter Sunday. And Jesus didn't give us an instruction saying, proclaim my resurrection, do this thing. We take it and we magnify it because of what it means for us. The magnitude of Easter. But you know, there's a strange phenomenon that goes on. And you guys can all relate. You might be thinking, okay, where are we going with this? There's a strange phenomenon that takes place in the human mind with regards to the passage of time. It seems that no matter how pivotal or how impactful an event is, as time passes, the intensity of the event passes with it. Details become a little foggy or they even begin to fade away entirely. There's, there's things that in the moment you think, I'll never forget this. And you don't set out to forget them. We don't, it's not, I purpose in my heart to forget this thing. But they just fade slowly. Just fade slowly. And eventually events, no matter how big, they take the place in the path of our lives as a wide spot in the road. And in the moment, you think, there's no way that's just going to become a wide spot in the road. Everybody knows the term wide spot in the road. This is like a Northwest Ohio thing. There used to be a town there. Now it's just if you blink, you miss it. There's four houses and a wide spot in the road. Does everybody track? That's what these, these events that used to be entire towns around these events. There used to be, we, they were magnified. In the moment, they were a big deal. 
Things like in the natural, we'll talk about some of these to give you, just kind of bring us all up to speed. I know everybody's probably tracking, but for instance, 9-11. For those of you that are old enough to remember 9-11, which is a weird thing to say. It seems like it was just last year. But everyone that was old enough to remember, you remember where you were when you heard about the events of 9-11. And you might even remember some of the thoughts that you had. But you know what? Even an event of that magnitude after time like, well, was I, I'm trying to think, and I was old enough I should remember real clearly. I, I remember I was at home. I can't remember what was going on that day. Remember a few things, or you go back, where were you? You get, well, data, we're going to get, we're going to work our way back, just so that nobody feels left out here. Where were you when you heard that President Reagan was shot? Where were you when you heard that we landed on the moon, Anybody? Few people remember landing on the moon. Where were you when you heard that President Kennedy had been shot? A few were weaning them down. This is like the anniversary dance at a wedding reception. It's like, we're getting down there. Where were you when you heard that Pearl Harbor had been bombed? We just, everybody's just saying, oh yeah. He forgot that he doesn't remember that. These things, people talk about these things. They're events of Big magnitude, personal dates. You might think, I don't know, like 9-11 is the only one, or maybe you're young enough that you don't really remember 9-11. But personal dates can be the same. Where you were, when you met them, what you were wearing when you met your spouse or your significant other. Where you were when you found out you were going to have a baby. I remember a couple of those. Where you were when you heard that a loved one passed away. These are events. While the occurrence of a specific event usually is cemented in our memories. So you remember that you heard you were going to have a baby. Or you remember that you heard this or that. The fact that that event happened is cemented in your memory. But the urgency, the intensity of the thing fades over time, no matter how big of a deal it was. This is like a Maybe something you've never thought about. And I, as we prepared for Easter these last couple of weeks, it's actually over about in December that I started really getting the picture of what I wanted to share, what I felt like the Lord wanted to convey this Easter season at the rock. To go back, to relive the intensity of the event. Now, obviously, none of us were alive then. But we have recorded for us eyewitness or secondhand accounts of things that took place. And you can imagine, as we've done the last couple of weeks, some of the other things going on and the intensity of the events unfolding. And it's important, I think, for us to take time to go back to that. The day that we're celebrating, the moment in human history that we're celebrating this morning, most pivotal moment in all of human history, there's not a day that is bigger than this day that we celebrate. This is what makes it all possible. This is a bigger day than when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. This is what it all hinges on. This is a bigger day than the day the floods of Noah began to fall. This is the biggest day in all human history because even if humanity made it through the flood, which we know they did, if they didn't have a chance to be right with God, it was irrelevant. This is the biggest day, the day of all days, the event of Jesus paying for our opportunity to be righteous makes everything else fade. And yet, 
over 2,000 years, it's become a rutted path. Just a thing we do every spring. It's like pastel colors and eggs. It's kind of a thing, and we get like a break. We take a day off of school and maybe a half a day off of work. It's kind of a thing. It's, just, it's the biggest day in human history. The urgency. We were made right with God apart from anything we could do. We got to become heirs of the greatest estate humanity's ever heard of. We became an heir. An heir doesn't work. An heir is. We got that opportunity to inherit. If you were here this morning, on this Easter 2022, someone walks in the door and they happen to be an attorney delivering you the papers for a long lost relative that was a multi-bajillionaire and you could buy a social media platform or try with what you inherited, would you ever forget today? Well, I inherited the greatest, the greatest fortune man's ever seen, and I inherited it. I didn't even know it was mine. I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't even know I was being written in to the will. But the day you found out about it would be a day you would never forget. Never. More so than whatever you did with that inheritance, the day you received it is the greatest day in human history. We became co-heirs with Christ today, 2,000 years ago. We got the opportunity to inherit right standing with God and everything that goes with it. That's amazing, church. That is amazing. It's my intention, as we go through a few notes this morning, a few scriptures, a few things that the Holy Spirit has quickened to my natural mind, it's my intention to help us get back to the context of that day. We can draw encouragement today as we are disciples and as we make disciples. Carrying today the extreme gospel of grace to a crooked and perverse generation full of man-made religion and chaos is full of much of the same things that the disciples faced in the first century. But you know, the gospel hasn't expired just periodically, if we think of the word expired, sometimes we think of somebody has died, like, oh, they've expired. But when I think of the word expired, I always think of milk. That's just what I think of. It's like, oh, that's expired. Just crack the top. Maybe sometimes if it's really expired, you don't even have to open it. You can just feel. It's like, there's some serious PSI in that jug of milk. It's begun to sour. It's expired. The gospel hasn't expired. It's just as fresh today. It is just as new today. There is just as much life in the gospel today as there was 2,000 years ago. It's as big of a deal today, if not bigger, than it was 2,000 years ago. The gospel has not expired. It's just as relevant today as it was Sunday morning 2,000 years ago in that garden tomb. Christ the Messiah, the Savior of the world. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've become comfortable with that phrase. He takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, that was when Jesus got baptized. That's what John the Baptist said. It's a comfortable phrase. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. We've written songs about it. 
about the Lamb of God and behold the Lamb and all those great songs. We've got comfortable with it. You realize up to that point in time, those words had never been spoken. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. Jesus wasn't a cover. He was a remover. The old covenant was a cover. It was just, let's keep covering, and we've talked about this, and this isn't what we're, what we're going over this morning, but the idea of covering something up, like um, maybe we could just, maybe we could get a rug and we'd cover that. That's the old covenant at its best was a really good throw rug over a stain in the carpet. Jesus says, no, we're getting rid of all that. It's going to be all new. He takes things away. He taketh away the sin of the world. All the lambs, all the goats, all the bulls, all the sacrifices made up to this point did nothing other than put a throw rug over the condition of mankind. And Jesus comes along and makes right, removes all of the covers, all of the stuff that just kind of, well, it kind of hides us. And he does this very eloquently. And he becomes the Lamb of God, the Lamb of all lambs, the sacrifice of all sacrifices to remove the sin of the world. He taketh it away. Some of you don't speak fluent King James, and I'll pray for you. But taketh away means it's gone. He take, it's gone. It's removed. The condition of mankind is forever changed. Just as the first century... The disciples, Mary, Peter, John, just as on that first resurrection day, today we still deal with doubt. It seems like as carnal humans, we gravitate towards doubt until we see. How how much more common is the words, I doubt it, than I believe that? I doubt it flows just effortlessly. It's like, I doubt it. Did you hear? I doubt it. That's a natural conversation today, isn't it? And it could be, I mean, you fill in the blanks. Literally in 2022, it can be anything. I mean, the most absurd thing you can think of, somebody's probably saying, did you hear? And somebody else is saying, nah, I doubt it. I doubt it flows easily off the tongue. I believe it. Not so easy. We're dealing with the same thing today as carnal humans that they dealt with 2,000 years ago. We have the choice today to doubt until we see or believe until we see. John in John chapter 20 verse 8 says, Then the other disciple, being John, who came to the tomb first, went in also. He saw and he believed. You say, well, Jesus saw that John saw that Jesus was raised from the dead. No, he didn't. He just saw that he wasn't there. He didn't see Jesus standing there. He saw nothing. And he chose to believe. He chose to believe, made a decision to believe it was because Jesus left and not that he had been taken. At this point, you could make the case for either one. Nobody had seen him walking around yet. John chose to believe Jesus left. Nobody took him. He made a choice to believe. Or we can choose to doubt until we see it, which is basically what everyone else did. 
If you got your Bibles, you want to turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read a chunk of scripture here, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible or you want to just read along on the screen. That'll be fine. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were, they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you and he was still in Galilee saying, the son of man, this is quote, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. They remembered his words. They returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and we know that John was with him. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened." There's a lot of things in this scripture. We're not going to unpack everything. I want to clarify for everybody that is here commonly and anyone that's visiting, this, nothing that I share this morning is going to be considered exhaustive. There's a lot of depth to this story, to the scripture that we're looking at. We're looking at a few facets. As I said in the beginning, what I feel the Lord has quickened into my heart to share this morning. That's it. Don't hear this and think, well, he left a whole bunch of stuff out. There's a whole bunch of stuff we're not going to cover. We got a few minutes this morning to look into scripture and to hear, and so it's my desire to bring the few things that the Lord has revealed to me this morning. Mary Magdalene and the ladies that went with her weren't looking for the resurrected Christ. I just gotta say that. And that offended a few of you, and somebody online just yelled at me. They weren't looking for the resurrected Christ. If they were, they would have brought him a sandwich, not a bunch of spices, they weren't, they weren't anticipating that he had raised, been risen from the dead. How do I know this? Because it says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. It was the custom, it was the practice of the day to put spices and all kinds of ointments and perfumes on a deceased body. They brought spices, they didn't bring sandwiches. If they had anticipated that Jesus would have been there sitting on the stone that he was supposed to be laying on, they would have brought something other than spices to accent his burial. I'm not saying Mary Magdalene didn't have tremendous faith. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm saying in this moment, she was not looking for the resurrected Messiah. She was overwhelmed with grief. She was absolutely overwhelmed with grief. But I love, there's a handful of things in here I just absolutely love. The angels. Who did they talk to first? A group of ladies, the leader of which had been demon-possessed. Now, we kind of skipped this a little bit. It's like, you know, I don't know. We've talked about Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons, but what's the point? The point is she wasn't a real super credible person. Any amens, not amens, like, but it's like she wasn't. She had been possessed by seven demons. Most of the people knew this. Certainly the disciples knew this. 
I'm not saying they didn't trust her, but they had reason. Because how many of you know, this is just something as a side note, but I want to look at this. How many of you know, if you know somebody that has real, real bad habits, whatever the thing is, we'll say it's um, some sort of drug addiction. It's a real, real bad deal, and they, they're in it for years. It goes on, it's a part of their life for years, but then they get born again and set free. You know, we believe they were set free. Amen, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But you know, as soon as they start exhibiting any tendencies that might look like the old them, you and I and all of us know we're right back there like, I wonder if they maybe went back to the drugs. They're starting to sound like it. They're starting to spend like it. They're starting to look like it. You say, how do you know she looked? I don't know if she looked demon-possessed, but she had been up for a long time. She had been grieving for a long time, and she was carrying. The angels revealed to her. They met her, and they gave it to her. They said, you're the first one. We're going to give you the news, and we want you to go give it. Talk about, you know, we see Paul talks about this later. Like, not many mighty men are called. Not many, are, not many mighty are called to share the gospel. It's the weak things of this world that reveal his strength. It's the foolish things of this world that declare the mighty works of God. He doesn't use the smartest and the shiniest and the exhibit A. That's not what he, he picks the weak, the beggarly, the foolish. It's like, what are we, this, is, this is what he picks to declare, to proclaim the gospel. And we see it right here. He picked Mary Magdalene. And you know when she carried it back there, we see this. In the moment, in verse 8, when the angels reminded the women, and in this instance we're looking at Mary Magdalene, namely Mary, reminded him her of what Jesus had said, what does it say? And they remembered his words. And there was a quickening. You guys have all experienced this. Read through scripture. Maybe it's your daily time. Maybe it's your weekly time. Maybe every year you get your Bible out and you read it once. And a month later, a week later, a day later, an hour later, there's something that quickens your memory to remember the words you read. Ever been there? And you just, it's like electric. It's just like you stuck a car key in an outlet. You're wide awake, ready to roll. I remember this. They remembered his words. There's another, uh, it's in the book of John, we might read it, we'll see it where we get to, where she runs, Mary gets this word, and she runs back to the disciples. Now, something I want to kind of look at, we're going to come back to the idle tales, but it was early in the morning on the first day of the week. It was still dark, according to John's account. Again, we're looking at context Two weeks ago, the title of the sermon was Thursday. We looked at the events of Thursday. Last week, we looked at Friday, the events that took place Friday in their natural context before the resurrection. Thursday was before the crucifixion. We still didn't know what was going on. In this moment, I want us to return to this. You realize in this particular first century moment, there was no streetlights. There was no flashlights. She didn't get in her Buick rendezvous and drive to the tomb. She didn't. She walked in the dark, and we see a little tiny glimpse. I was a little transparent. Apparently, my Bible's open to Daniel right now, which is not what we're looking at. In John, we see, oh, I got to find it. They took, let's see. It's not John. I can't find it right now. Bear with me, church. 
where Mary, Mary was there when they buried Jesus. We looked at it last week. I'm not gonna take the time to go find it right now. We looked at it where Mary followed them to find the tomb because she meant to come back. She was coming back. She made plans. She made arrangements. And then we see she prepared spices. Now, again, we're not there. We're, not, we're in 2022. We all drove here today. We're, we don't understand walking somewhere in the dark a group of women walking somewhere in the dark in the first century, they didn't have sidewalks. They had villains. They had thieves. And it wasn't prosecuted quite like it is today. It was, there was a measure of danger. There was a measure. You understand, she kept the Sabbath, which was Saturday. Sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. When, I'd like to just, well, let's look at this. When Jesus was laid in the tomb, we was getting close to sundown Friday. So she didn't labor then. She didn't labor on Saturday, the Sabbath. When do you think she prepared all these spices? In the middle of the night. At some point, she took the time to prepare burial spices. Perfume, burial spices. She had been up for a while. And she arrives at the tomb before the sun comes up. Or at dawn. It was still dark according to John's account. She had to have prepared the burial spices sometime during the night and left very early to arrive at the tomb while it was still dark. It's the first point that I would like to make this morning. I don't have rhyming points and they don't even have the same title or the same starting letter. But for Mary Magdalene, Jesus' whereabouts was all she had going. Everybody follow that. Her, his whereabouts, where is Jesus at? That's all she had going. She took notes Friday night. She retraced her steps Sunday morning. Something my wife and I were talking about. This was Sunday morning. We think, oh, Sunday morning, that was good. She could go to the tomb before she went to church. No. It's like our Monday morning. This was their Sunday morning was the first work day of the week. Now, we're all disciples here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, make that blanket statement that we're all disciples. Nobody throw anything at me like, we don't know. I know. We're blanketing everyone. We're all disciples. How many of us would, we're going to the tomb on Monday morning, and how many of us would say, we'll swing by after work? We were just discussing this. It's like, we're for doing this kind of stuff. Like if we would have been following Jesus, then it's like, well, we should stop by the tomb. We'll pay some respects. You know what? Well, we're going to take some, some spices and some ointment and some stuff for it. But, you know, I got work. I got a job I got to do like at 6.30 on Monday. And then we got to take the kids. We got a few things. But we could go like in the evening. Does anybody want to go? She was, as soon as she could be there, she was there. First, she, all she had going in her entire existence was where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? It was all she had going with her time, and it was all she had going with her resources. In Luke 8, verse 2, we looked at this last week a little bit, but she had been providing for Jesus out of her own wealth or resources. It says, out of their substance. Preparing burial perfume and spices would have been quite costly. She spent the morning literally running back and forth to share the good news. 
this morning we're here at church, and it's good. I'm glad we're here. It's an opportunity to pause, to make much of Jesus. But I just, I want to ask us, when we go to tell people that Jesus is risen, do we walk or do we run? It's figurative, it's metaphorical, it's not meant to bring uh, condemnation on anybody. I'm just asking questions. That intensity over 2,000 years, it tends to drift, it tends to fade. It's like, well, if I can work it into the conversation. When Mary ran to the disciples, it wasn't, I wonder, like I could say, we could ask them how they slept that night, and we could talk a little bit, wonder what they got going today for work, like where are you guys headed with your life now that it's kind of derailed and went off track, like are you guys headed back to fishing, or what are you thinking, and by the way, Jesus is, you know, I think he raised from the dead, I I saw him in the garden, the tomb was empty, no, it was just full on, four wheel drive, high energy, he is risen, Look, the guy we followed for three and a half years, he cast the demons out of me. He walked on the water. He did all these wonderful things. He loved us. He's alive again. She, was, she did not care what she looked like. She did not care what she sounded like. She ran back to tell everybody. I love, and I t- looked at this a little bit in the beginning, but Jesus appeared first to a woman. Very first person he appeared to was Mary Magdalene. After he was resurrected, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. She had no standing in that day, and Jesus met her first. And what she did with that, she chose to interrupt grief and fear with good news. This is the thing the Lord just twisted my insides with this last week. This was the last thing that was added to this page She chose to interrupt grief and fear with good news. The 11 disciples were hiding out, fearful for their futures, possibly remorseful for their past, grieving the loss of their leader, the one they had believed was the Messiah. And she chose to interrupt that with good news. Look around in our world. Is there any fear or grief going on in the world today? Are we bold enough to interrupt fear and grief with good news? We have just as good a news today as she had then. We can carry it with the same level of intensity. She chose to interrupt grief, to interrupt fear with the gospel. Jesus appeared first to a woman who had no standing. She had no, not a lot of legal rights The Roman society, if she was a Roman citizen, there would have been some legal rights. She could have owned property. But in a court, she had no bearing. She couldn't get representation in a court, which means she couldn't be a witness. So who did Jesus choose to have as a first witness? The one who the world said, you can't be a witness. And Jesus said, I'll make you a witness. That's for us today. I believe that with everything inside me, that there's people here right now that you think, I can't, I can't carry, the, I, I'm not, I can't be a witness because look at my life. Because of you, you think, because of me, I think, because of us, we think, we can't be a witness. And Jesus appears to that one. He says, go. The angels instructed her, go and tell the disciples. Now, why do you think Why do you think the angels sent 
the women back to the disciples. Why didn't Jesus just appear to them? I mean, it seems like if he's going to appear to them eventually, why wouldn't he just appear to them? And these are questions you might be thinking, where are we going? I want us to stop. I want us to think, get in the park. Why, if you were Jesus, why wouldn't you just appear to the disciples? He appeared to this group of ladies who were his disciples as well. And he said, you, got, you go tell the guys. You go deliver this. You carry my, the good news. Why? Because Jesus is always about believing. And he, I believe with everything inside of me that they had the opportunity to believe all along. Or they had the opportunity to choose not to believe. And we see, we, I told you we were going to come back to idle tales. It says in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 24, their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. The women returned. They carried the good news. They said, he's risen. The tomb's empty. And the disciples are like, it's idle tales. I don't know what she's, I don't know what's going on. She's probably old Mary again. I don't know. We don't know what happened, but the wheels have completely fallen off of this whole wagon. Why are you wrapped up in him? Be, the tomb is that, who knows what happened? Like, it's just idle tales. They had the opportunity to believe. Jesus pitches them one last chance to believe before they see it. It's pitched, believe it before you see it. Believe it before you see it. Just take their word. Say, hey, you know what? I believe you. He is risen. Jesus is always about believing. Today, in our lives, he is about us believing, choosing to believe him. And we talk a lot about choosing here. If you're here, if you've been here for any length of time, you know we talk about the things we choose to say, things we choose to read, the things we choose to do with our time and our resources. We get to choose. In the Garden of Eden, man was given a choice, and we still have that choice today. They had the choice to believe. Second thing I want to look at, or third, fourth, whatever we're at as far as numbers. My numbers didn't make it on the page. What about the group of soldiers that were bribed by the religious elites to keep their mouths shut? Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. We're going to read them. They'll be up on the screen or you can turn with them. Matthew chapter 28, pick it up in verse 11, says, Now, while they were going, the women had left the tomb. You know what? Let's go back. Does everybody have a few minutes? Thank you. We're going to take them. I didn't, there was like one of those speak now or forever hold your peace moments. Uh, let's see. Now, verse, let's just read verse, we're going to pick up in verse 1 of Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, the first day of the week began at dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. This is a fairly epic moment in human history. This is amazing. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went quickly from the tomb 
with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Now we see, and Jesus went, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and they held him by the feet and worshiped him. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. What things had happened? We read that and it's like, well, they went and they. What things had they witnessed that they told them? Remember, a great earthquake, the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. This would make a mark on you. I don't believe they'd ever seen anything quite like this. And eight, now, this tomb was sealed up. They didn't want the disciples coming and stealing Jesus and saying he had been resurrected. It was sealed. Big stone, seal on the stone, soldiers. We saw in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' disciples versus the soldiers. The soldiers win every time. Jesus' tomb was secure until the angel of the Lord descends from heaven after an earthquake, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. The soldiers had seen this. They reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. They're using their words, but their words are full of unbelief at this moment. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, what do you think they did? What, how do we fix all real problems? A large sum of money. That'll solve almost anything, won't it? When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, at this point in time, there couldn't be a lot of question what happened, even to the soldiers. And now, because they had heard about it, the religious leaders. We got it wrong. He was raised from the dead. But in an effort to save faith, to save face, what happens? They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them, his disciples came at night. So when the media gets here, what's our story? Everybody's on the same page. How much do you need to keep quiet? When the media gets here, when the cameras start rolling, when they start asking you questions, repeat this. Burn this into your memory. Tell him that his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. This comes to the governor's ears. We will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And the saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. One thing that didn't make it in my notes, but I want to remember to share. We think about this, it's like, well, you know, they had a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure on them. Like, do what, there's a lot of money, do what we're telling you. Do you realize that what these soldiers traded for this money? Just in the natural well, just for a second, and this is terrible, it's probably sacrilegious to do on Easter Sunday. Let's leave the resurrection out of this. What did the soldiers trade for this amount of money? Their everlasting reputation as soldiers. These guys were elites. They were soldiers. And a group of fishermen and hack accountants kicked our butts and broke in. And that's what we're going, that's what we're leading with this. So we'll never be promoted again. We'll never advance our careers again. Our career as a soldier is basically over as far as advance any advancement. We're trading it all. It was a fairly large sum of money. We don't know exactly what it was. But I thought about that this morning. They were asking them not only to lie, but to trade their careers for their lie. Here's some money, because you're done in the, social, in, the, in the work that you're doing, you're done. 
here's some money, and let's get our story straight. George Washington said at the, they were going over at the uh, Continental Congress, they were talking about paid politicians. And I am not going to talk about paid politicians. But George Washington said, few men are able to withstand the highest bidder. I think about that saying in light of the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the path by which all sorts of evil comes. It's not money, but it's the love of money. And we see this example like right in front of our very eyes. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. A part of what we talked about earlier, verse 14, it says, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. What do you think that means? It means they were subject to some serious penalties if they were found sleeping. Say you fell asleep. I know, I understand the implications. Say you fell asleep. And if it makes it to the governor's ears, we'll vouch for you. See that money we just gave you? We've got more of it. We see a contrast this morning, a comparison. And you might be sitting here, there's a lot of them in this story. It's all over in this story is the contrast. Contrast versus believing and doubt. Here we see the contrast. Mary Magdalene and, and several other women had been giving freely to Jesus' ministry. They weren't in love with their money. They were in love with Jesus. So we'll give freely and they weren't, they weren't able to be bought. You couldn't have bought those women if you wanted to. And you see the soldiers who witnessed an earthquake, the angel of the Lord coming, rolling away the stone, sitting on it, and they're bought right out of their story. These guys, these soldiers, had access to the truth. They had witnessed it. They had seen it. But for financial gain, they kept their mouths shut. Scripture is full of contrasts and comparisons. There's much that we can learn from this story. There's things we can look back at Mary Magdalene and we can say, not sure why she did that. And we see things, the intensity that she delivered this gospel news with. I love that intensity. I keep coming back to it in my own life. Do I carry the news? He is risen. The war is over. We talked about this, I don't know, it was last week or the week before. When a newsboy the end of World War II was traveling through the city. They would declare, the war is over, and throw the newspaper. They didn't stop to argue. That's, we see that with Mary. She wasn't arguing with anybody. He's risen. He's risen. Believe it, leave it, whatever. He's risen. Do we carry this gospel today with that same intensity? And I don't, it's my prayer that this does not come across as condemnation or pressure, like get out there and get to witnessing. That's not what I'm getting at, because as we get this revelation, as we renew our minds to what happened here, to our right standing with the Father, I'm telling you, it's impossible to not walk with intensity. You say, did you, did you misspeak there? You mean intentionality? No, I mean intensity. There is an intensity in the gospel. 
When you see, if you've ever witnessed, I've, I've only seen a handful, and I've never seen, been real up close. We got a few people here that have. But when you've witnessed someone be rescued from a burning building, it's not a laissez-faire, just, you know, if you want to come out, come out. If you want to stay and burn, it's not that bad. Just stay and burn. That's not how it's, there's an intensity, is there not? When, if you've ever witnessed someone be rescued from a pool or a pond or something that's drowning, there is an intensity, and it's necessary. If we want the rescue to be successful, it is delivered with a measure of intensity. And all of those pale in comparison to the rescue that we are commissioned to be administers of. If you're here today and you know Jesus, you are a minister or an administer of reconciliation. Carrying this good news, because Tom talked about it when talking about communion, this good news gives us the ability to be reconciled, to be brought together with the Father. We've all seen, we've all been a part of funerals and people leaving this life in the last year, two years, three years, four years, whatever. We've all witnessed it. We know this clock ticks one last tick for every human. In light of that, we have the answer, the solution, the antidote. We carry the cure. And it's a, it's a condition that all humanity shares. We don't have to walk through like, I don't know if they need to get born again or not, do they? I mean, they're doing pretty good. Everybody needs to be born again. If you ain't born again, you ain't going to heaven. This is a simple thing. Lucas, if you want to come up and start playing the piano, that would be great. That would help this plane begin to land. I know everybody's got Easter celebrations today, meals. Maybe you're going out to eat. Maybe you're eating with family. Maybe you're spending time alone or with Jesus today. I just want to leave you with a perspective on this story with the urgency and the intensity that Mary Magdalene carried the news. For Mary Magdalene, Jesus' whereabouts was all she had going. She didn't have anything else in in her world that mattered. There was no money that mattered to her. There was no social standing that mattered to her. Where's my Savior? She carried this all the way to delivering the greatest news that we've ever experienced. If you would join us and stand this Resurrection Sunday, I would like to close this morning with a declaration. This morning at Revelation Rock, we proclaim the new covenant. We choose to be believing believers. And we lay claim to the promises of God contained in his word. They are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We choose to be thankful in all circumstances. In light of the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus, we thank you for the resurrection and we anticipate joining you physically in it. We look around, we see this world is not fixed. So we press on with boldness declaring the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ purchased our right standing with God. Here at The Rock, we believe that words matter. 
So we choose to speak words of truth, of life in faith. We believe in strong biblical families and marriages. We place a high value on raising kids up in the word. They will be like trees planted by rivers of water who bear fruit in season, whose leaves will not wither even in drought seasons. We choose this resurrection day like Mary Magdalene to run, to tell people that he is risen, to interrupt our world locked behind doors of fear and uncertainty and proclaim that Jesus the Messiah is risen. The war is over. We shall go out with joy and be led forth with praise as the day of salvation is at hand. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit by which we can know all things. Thank you for the free gift of salvation. Father, we declare that now over this body, over our families and our children. We thank you that we can carry this with joy and be led forth with peace this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.